This is Critical Thinking Supremacy, the Sonic Gravity Mass Effect, and the Voorhesian Displacement Field. So now we begin. You are orbiting in sonic gravity, and when you open your eyes and see the universe through the eyes of a madman, you will realize that you have just entered the age of quantum energy, and that is a fact. So I'm pushing our daughters, Belle and Savannah, on our swing set the other day, and Kooky, Savannah, says, that's enough, Daddy, but Bella says, higher, Daddy, higher. So when she swings back towards me, at the apex of her swing towards me, I give a shove, and it perfectly efficiently adds to the energy and the momentum contained by Bella's swing. She swings down with it, and it carries her a little higher on the other side. Now, when she gets to the top of her swing towards me, that's when I push to give her the full effect. Then it takes her two seconds to swing toward the tippy tip of the swing arc away from me then she swings back down to the bottom and back up to me and it takes her another two seconds to make the trip back so if I push her and she takes two seconds to get to the top of the arc on the other side of the swing and another two seconds to go from there back down to the top of the arc where I am behind her that's a total of four seconds so to push her effectively and with the most efficiency I need to what we call harmonically which is rhythmically push her only every four seconds now if I try to push her out one second after my last push, I'd kind of miss, right? Because she'd be at the bottom of the swing going away at the fastest possible speed. So she'd be pulling away from my push and she wouldn't get the full energy. And I've kind of flail a little at the end and waste some of it, right? And if I tried to push her at two seconds, that's never going to work because I'd be trying to push her forward when all her weight is at the top of the other side and she's starting to go backwards. And if I tried to push her at three seconds, she'd be swinging right into me toward me at full power and my push would slow her down and she'd smash into me and she'd think I was totally fail at swings. And I'd pretty much be canceling the energy in the system, which is pretty much the opposite of what we want to do. So to be a good dad, I need to push every four seconds. Now it can't just be every four seconds starting whenever I want. If I push her from the bottom of the swing every four seconds, that won't work either. So I need to push her every four seconds when I know she's at the apex of the backswing. So it's a nice ride and I can make her go higher and higher. And so pushing too soon is wrong. Pushing too late is wrong. I got to push her at exactly the right time which is what we call in phase. It means that the push, or the impulse, so to speak, is in phase with the apex of her swing arc back towards me. So in physics, what we would say is the natural frequency of my daughter on the swing is one cycle every four seconds, or a quarter hertz. And if my harmonic impulse equals the natural frequency of her swing, then I will have achieved a loading frequency called resonance, which will essentially build and build and build energy until the system destabilizes and breaks. So do you see it yet? If not, don't worry about it. We're going to get there in just a second. Now, I didn't actually do this with Bell on the swing, but if I push Bell on the swing with a loading frequency and a steady push that matched the natural frequency of her swing, and I kept doing it, I would push her so high that she would swing all the way out and then a little bit higher, which would arc her back towards the swing set above the bar, and the chain that held her seat would lose tension, and she'd fall straight down, and as she approached the ground, the chain would 
snap straight and jar her and she'd probably lose her balance and hit the ground and that would definitely make me a bad dad. So trust me, there's four things you should never do. Never fry bacon naked, never trust a fart, never waste an erection, and above all, never ever try and achieve residence when you're pushing your children on the swing. It would be a really bad dad. Now the same is true in complex systems and structures, and I don't know if you know this or not, but if you do this, you didn't hear it from me. But the material properties of a pane of tempered glass has a very specific frequency of vibration just like the swing. You hit it and it will vibrate at a very specific frequency. Take a pane of tempered glass and hit it in the middle of the pane with a hammer. You're not going to be able to break it. But materials also vibrate or have a natural frequency too. And it turns out that porcelain has the exact same natural frequency of its molecular structure as the frequency of vibration of the tempered glass. So at a quantum level, when the porcelain touches the tempered glass, you achieve a resonance loading condition where it's just like pushing your child on a swing, like a bad dad. And the porcelain, when it touches the glass, is loading the glass just like a swing. It transfers this nano vibration to the glass that matches exactly the vibrational frequency of the glass and you pretty much achieve instant resonance. So if you take a piece of porcelain, like bust off some of the porcelain shell from a spark plug and throw it at a pane of tempered glass or the window of a car nobody cares about and it will penetrate that glass like a bullet through butter. Now I'm not telling you to do it, but I am telling you it looks pretty cool when you do. And the exact same thing happened to the Tacoma Narrows Bridge back in 19. 40. The bridge was designed to hold a bunch of weight and it was a legit design, but when the wind blew over it, it had a camber, which means that it tended to generate a little bit of lift in some places. And if the wind blew just right and created lift that pulled up on the bridge and then the bridge bent up a little bit, then bent down a little bit, guess what? So a brisk but not severe wind applied a harmonic loading condition that matched the natural frequency of the structure and it, like a bad dad pushing his daughter on the swings, totally destroyed the bridge. And check out the Sonic Gravity podcast Facebook page, Instagram page, and Twitter page, and you'll see video footage from 1940 and the Tacoma Narrows Bridge bucking and twisting under a resonance loading condition. You will absolutely know that a teeny little push at the right time, at the right frequency, on the right structure, would definitely create a Voorhesian displacement field, and that is a fact. Now, remember when I told you that after I caught PTSD that it really brought out anti-social personality disorder in me and my bipolarity and it really brought my autism to the fore but it also made me smarter somehow and not only did I figure out the Voorhesian displacement field and the sonic gravity mass effect I figured out tic-tac propulsion and I figured out how to launch a satellite into space without a rocket using a mirror <laughs> And that is a fact. And I figured out a weapon that'll bring down a tic-tac. And I think I also figured out quantum realism that will unite classical physics with quantum mechanics, which only physicists really care about. And so I wanted to talk about that. So I'm going to talk about those things in a future episode, and I call it the sonic gravity theory of everything. And I don't want to ruin it, but I need to cover a little bit more about quantum field theory and string theory and the nature of the universe to get us to the sonic gravity mass effect and the Voorhesian displacement field. Because so far we've covered resonance, but we haven't covered when we're going to push and we haven't covered how we're going to push yet, but we will. So we're going to load the Higgs field with a resonant loading condition and we're going to pop the Higgs field off of us, which is going to drop our mass to zero, which is the sonic gravity mass effect. And the special way we're going to generate that magnetic field that's going to achieve that resonant loading condition, which is what we're going to call a Voorhesian displacement field. And I want to nickel every time somebody says it. And you better say it. 
Now, if I start to lose you, I'm going to need you to press pause in this episode, and then I'm going to need you to rewatch Critical Thinking parts 4, 5, 6, 7, 10, 11, 12, and 13, because I can't keep replowing all the concepts and thoughts that we've been working through over these last couple months. But this episode would take forever, and so, like, all my super fans would be staring into madness for so long, they'd all become crazy like me, and then they wouldn't listen to Sonic Gravity anymore because they'd be like, dude, I already think like that. So now imagine that we're looking at the hologram of the universe. It's on the face of our TV. Our TV has little microscopic pixels like light bulbs that can be all different colors. And inside each of those pixels are three color elements, red, blue, and green. And depending how your TV flashes those red, blue, and green elements within those pixels, they're gonna light up and turn off. Those three colors can actually combine to make any color in the rainbow. So if you turn the green one off, you'd have the red and the blue one still on. And so it would make that pixel shine purple. So even though you only have a pixel with elements red, green, and blue that little pixel would look purple so now we can take our tv screen and shut off any two of the three elements and if we shut off the green and red then all we'd be left with is blue color elements shining across the whole tv screen we'd only see blue across the whole field and we would only see blue where in that picture the blue had to shine through to make that picture well we would call that the blue quantum field and it would be different all over some places it would be black because only red and green were being used in that pixel or it might be bright blue or in some places it might be dimmer blue and so on and we could also just show the red field by turning off the green and the blue in every pixel and then we could see the green quantum field by shutting off the red and the blue elements within each pixel too. And so superposition is when you stack the red, blue, and the green quantum fields together. They overlay and mix together and interact and what you see is your HD picture on your TV. And that is a fact. Congratulations, you completely understand quantum field theory. So the reality of physics is the same way, except there's not three color quantum fields, red, blue, and green. There's 17 quantum fields. 12 of them are matter fields, and four of them are force fields. And one of them is kind of a special field. It's the one we're gonna bust. It was discovered in 2012. They discovered it at CERN in the Large Hadron Collider, and it's called the Higgs field. And it's the field that tells the universe that our matter has mass. And so if we can bust out of our Higgs field with the Voorhesian displacement field, we're gonna achieve the sonic gravity mass effect, which is exactly what we need to fly a tic-tac and time travel and achieve immortality and harness zero point energy and break the dawn of the quantum age. And maybe some sonic gravity, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram followers, maybe. Cause when you're a bipolar autistic psychopath, it's hard to get people to want to answer your emails and your DMs and none of your family members will listen to your podcast except for your little brother. Thanks Pete. Love you man. And so like we said in our example, we've got a bunch of pixels and they've got three quantum fields, except in reality there's not three quantum color fields, it's 17 quantum fields, 12 of them are matter fields and four of them are force fields. And like our TV screen, all these fields intersect at little points that we call atoms. The atom is our reality pixel, so to speak, like the pixel on our TV. Now there's sort of a string theory interpretation of quantum field theory, which is what we're looking at. Now remember we've got our 2D hologram of our TV, so to speak, which which is stretched out and bent around like a bubble. And we're on the outside of the bubble looking in with the 2D reality is what's really going on right in front of us on the face of our TV and the hologram. And there's a 3D world inside the bubble, which is what we see every day. So instead of pixels and colors inside the pixel of our TV, pretend we aren't looking at TV pixels. Pretend we're looking at a super fine fabric over that bubble. So now we can think of the fields are like crisscrossing strings, like a piece of super fine fabric with super duper fine threads. And there's 
17 different colors of threads in this fabric. And those threads are crisscrossing through our TV surface and they're all intersecting wherever a pixel would be, like a little knot, which is wherever an atom is in our 3D reality. And they're all knotted up and some of them are connected through what we call brace theory. And then like, so when one of them vibrates, now they're like guitar strings, right? And so when one of them vibrates, you know, it can bump another one and it causes a fluctuation in that one. And think about string theory for just a second. Think about what it means. It means the fundamental particles in the universe are very atoms, so to speak. They're vibrating. So the universe is really music and you are a symphony. And that is a fact. And so you know from the sonic gravity quantum echo hypothesis to lose our mass and fly a tic-tac, we're essentially creating a little force field of magnetism that shakes loose our Higgs singlet, which essentially just unties the thread that represents our Higgs singlets inside each of our atoms. We're just busting the Higgs colored threads off of our knots, and when that happens, our mass goes to zero. Because remember, it's that Higgs field that tells the universe that our particle fields have mass. But I don't think it will disrupt our force fields too much. I think it will make the weak nuclear force a lot stronger for reasons that I might get into later and it'll give us more zero point energy because the Higgs field kind of breaks the symmetry of the weak nuclear force in the natural state. And I'm pretty sure it doesn't disturb the strong nuclear force which holds all our atoms together or sort of the knots or pixels so to speak because if we lost the strong nuclear force we would definitely explode like a nuclear bomb at the speed of light. And I've already repeatedly for the record staked my reputation as a psychopath on it. And I'm saying it again today when we disassociate from the Higgs field we will not explode like a nuclear bomb at the speed of light. Probably. I'm pretty sure. The strong nuclear force is the force that holds our atoms together and it's gonna hold the rest of the 16 strings in our knots together so we don't explode like a nuclear bomb at the speed of light. I totally think that. So the way a quantum particle sort of manifests on a string is when that string is excited, so to speak. And since the knot is what we're looking at, if any of the other strings bump into this string and the strings are tied together by the strong nuclear force, so anytime anything shakes, everything shakes. So now I want you to think of the knot plucking at one of those strings. We'll call that quantum excitement or oscillation at the quantum level. And it's just like plucking a guitar string. So you pluck a guitar string and it vibrates up and down and it makes a sound. So we're gonna say that our atoms are are sitting in the middle of that string and our atoms are always shaking up and down constantly. We're looking at an atom in the middle of a piece of string and it's right in the middle. So now we need to talk about quantum spin. So we have our string and we strum it. And all 17 strings can be strummed. 16 of the strings have what we call a spin. They have a vector and a spin is what you see when you strum a guitar string but you don't totally do it perfectly up and down. And if you look down the string at an angle, you can see it's kind of vibrating in a circle. And if you try it, you'll see that if you look close that string is moving up and down but it's also going back and forth at the same time and what you see is kind of like a circle that's what spin is and each string spins its own way in the same way every time which was why the muon g-2 experiment that they did a couple months ago at the fermi labs was so cool because they shot a muon through a magnetic field and the string didn't spin or vibrate in the same guitar string circle motion that it had always done before it changed a little and i know that doesn't sound like a very big deal, but physicists were really into it. And I think that little puzzle piece was one of the puzzle pieces that really just kind of stuck out in my mind and kind of told me that, hey, if we want to get rid of the Higgs field and we want to fly a tic-tac, we're going to need to rock out on that string. So all the strings of all the fields have a spin except for one. The Higgs field doesn't have a spin. It doesn't go in a circle at all. It just goes straight up and down. So it's not in a weird phase all the time. It's very predictable and it's in a regular place. 
And that's great because that means it's going to be much easier to hit like a bad dad. So imagine the swing set again if you want to be a bad dad. It's easy because your kids are swinging in a straight path back and forth and there's no phase problems. You would have a phase problem trying to push a tire swing where there's a single line and the tire can go around in circles in kind of random ways or if the string of the tire got longer or shorter. It's hard to be a bad dad in that kind of a swing situation where the kids are going in a circle and all around because it's hard to push right to achieve resonance. So we need to kind of tee up our atoms and kind of get them all pointed the same way because if we're trying to create a harmonic loading condition to achieve resonance and be bad dads to all of our Higgs singlets, we need to be able to push them all at the same time in the same way. And the best way to do this, maybe the only way to do this, is with an electrostatic field. We know that we can do this because of an experiment that two theoretical physicists came up with. Their names were Albert Einstein and von der de Haas. And it's called the Einstein de Haas effect. You take a piece of iron, you dangle it by a thread, and then you put it in a vertical magnetic field, and it starts to spin. The reason it does this is that the magnetic field gets all the atoms oriented in the same direction, just like a wind vane is set up to point in the direction of the wind. And since the electrons in the electrons field are all on strings in our fabric, so to speak, because the guitar string is not, remember, it's not just going up and down, it's kind of going in a circle. So when you point the guitar up along the magnetic field, the vibrating strings are all moving in the same direction around in a circle. And so the piece of iron starts moving in the same circle too, I mean, essentially. And so if we think of our kids as the Higgs single, and the swing is the particle symmetry system that we want to break, which will make our kids fall out of the swing and will also make us very bad dads. We know what we need to do to eject the Higgs singlets out of all of our atoms. And that's an application of what we call the principle of conservation of angular momentum. But it's pretty much that when the atoms were all jumbled and everything canceled out, but when you straighten them all out with a magnetic field, the direction the iron is spinning is the total angular momentum of all the rest of the atoms that you flipped around to make them go the other way. If that doesn't make sense, don't worry about it, but it's just so you know that if we put all our atoms in a magnetic field, in technical jargon, if we create a polarized magnetic field, we're going to get all of our atoms oriented the same way, like a bad dad putting everybody's kids on the swings, all facing the same direction. And just like the Tacoma Narrows Bridge, it doesn't matter how strong that string is or how much steel is in it, when we hit resonance between the loading impulse frequency and the natural frequency of the Higgs string, we're going to bust it loose like a kid on a swing set and finally become the bad dad we always wanted to be so we can fly our ticket tax and achieve immortality. We're almost there and all we need to do is cover two more things, when to push and how to push, and we will be flying Tic Tacs. And that is a fact. And the only thing we need to look at when it comes to when to push is the basic wave equation to decide what our harmonic loading frequency is. So if you look at the cover art on the front of this podcast episode, what you see is a graphic representation just like all the 17 different colored guitar strings all vibrating at the same time, right? It's called the wave function. And you can see lots of strings kind of showing other fabric and stuff. It's cool, right? So I thought it made a good illustration. But think like you're looking down on the swing set and the distance that the swing goes at any particular time is the distance between the outer edge of the wave and the horizontal center line, which if you're looking down is like the beam that the swings are connected to. So now as you follow the wave to the right, you're at the top and then you go down the slope and then keep going down past the middle, still moving to the right. And then the next peak is not quite as far as the first peak and it kind of turns around and keep going. The distances get less and less. You might be thinking, how come the swing isn't staying straight up in 
the middle. And in the picture, what's along the bottom isn't space, it's time. So remember that when you're pushing on the swing set, the time from one peak at the bottom to the next peak at the bottom, the difference from peak to peak is four seconds. It was four seconds in our first example, right? So every four seconds, that swing is coming back to me and I need to give a push, see? Now what this picture is showing is only if you ever gave a single push. See how the distance of the swing, the height of the wave function gets less and less and less as time goes on to the right? And that's just exactly like if you gave a push and walked away and then over time, the distance or the amplitude of the wave would get a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller and a little bit smaller until the swing stopped. But this is not what happens if we apply a harmonic loading condition that matches the frequency of the system. Not if we give a push every single time the wave comes back around. Dumping a kid out of the swing, if we give a push to the system at the exact same time the wave comes down to the bottom, then the energy makes the wave get taller and taller and taller and taller and pretty much there's so much energy stacking up in that wave that the system can't contain it anymore. And we will end up rocking that string of the Higgs field so hard that it is going to experience a spontaneous symmetry break and we are going to bust out of that part of the Higgs field. And if we keep that field up, if we keep making those little pushes, the energy will keep the Higgs field off of the rest of our quantum composition. So we'll leave it to the real physicists and scientists to figure out exactly what the wave equation looks like for the Higgs field. But because there's no quantum spin, the wave equation will be whatever you see. What you see is what you get. There will be no imaginary component, so to speak. And so we'll be able to see whatever the period of the oscillation is and we can match that frequency with our push with no problem. So here's how we're gonna push or strum or rock out on the Higgs string. So from critical thinking, we know that we can either touch the Higgs string or we can't. And we know from Newton's law, right? If it can touch us, then we are touching it because for every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And scientists have known that the Higgs field was there for a really long time because they were like, why does the weak nuclear force only go for such a short distance? And then they were like, why do electrons go so slow compared to photons? And it was because something was grabbing the electrons and the weak nuclear force and breaking their stride. And the Higgs field breaks the symmetry of the weak nuclear force and slows down certain electrons, which is cool because when we break the symmetry of the Higgs field, we'll probably unlock a stronger, weak nuclear force, so to speak. And that that's probably why the weak nuclear force is also going to give us lots of zero-point energy, which will allow us to power our tic-tac and fly at ludicrous speed. Anyway, let's anyway let's bring it back. How are we going to push on the Higgs field? Now, electrons have a spin, which is why, like we said before, the piece of iron spins when we dangle it vertically in an electromagnetic field. But we also know that electrons spin two ways, either left-hand spin or right-hand spin. Give a thumbs up with your right hand. If that electron is traveling up in the direction of your thumb with a right-hand spin, when that electron is string is strummed, the string of the guitar is going to circle in the direction that your fingers are pointing. And that electron goes fast and nothing gets in the way. But if you do the same with with your left hand, that electron is spinning the opposite way. And in the words of Dr. Matt O'Dowd, who taught me this, I just learned about left hand and right hand and spinning electrons last week, and I was watching PBS's Space Time. The left hand electron has an extra little something something. It's got a tiny extra little juice called the weak hypercharge. And I think it goes without saying that weak hypercharge is the best possible name for a rock band ever. And that is a fact. 
And we know it's the Higgs field that tugs on this left spinning electron and slows it down, slower than the photon. And the Higgs field constantly trades back and forth the weak hypercharge between itself and the left-handed spinning electron. So the right-handed electron just zips right through the Higgs field and the Higgs field doesn't even know it's there. But the left-handed electron continually trades the weak hypercharge back and forth and gets slowed down, constantly pumping its brakes as it gets snagged by the Higgs field. But you know what? That's what we needed. And you know who else is left-handed? Me, Jimi Hendrix, and Eric Rockham. And this weak hypercharge is thought to be the weak nuclear force, which is why they think in the natural state, the existence of the Higgs field breaks the symmetry of the weak nuclear force. But you know what? Today, the left-handed electron is going to get some payback because the left-handed electron is going to rock the Higgs field. Because if we're thinking critically, we know the Higgs field is grabbing left-spinning electrons and hanging them up. And it's because the Higgs field is hanging them up. That's an inductive observation, right? Because the Higgs field is hanging them up and slowing them down. We know the left-spinning electron is giving a quantum tug on the Higgs string. It's giving just a little quantum push. And that's all we need, isn't it? So the left-spinning electron is all we need to make contact, to rock out on the Higgs string. And I think helicity is what physicists call that handedness property, and it can either be a left-handed electron or an anti-electron. I'm pretty sure. Now there's some engineering work that needs to be done still, because you gotta figure out how to craft that charged disc that'll spin around and pump out left-handed electrons on a particular frequency that matches the quantum frequency of the Higgs field. Just just like we talked about with the swing set. And we're also going to probably need to construct a ship that has an inner cavity that's insulated and an outer cavity that conducts because we're going to need to emanate that field from the outer cavity of the ship. Because of the Voorhesian displacement field that's set off inside the cockpit, I'm not sure we're going to be able to steer. We might not be able to grab anything. Just saying. So we're going to need a team of smart electrical engineers that can create a wheel that can spun really fast through geometry and perhaps different areas of charge and materials on the wheel itself. What we'll need is a magnetic field and get all of our atoms pointed in the same direction. And our electromagnetic field generator needs to deliver a harmonic pulse of left spinning electrons that radiates outward from the outside skin of the ship and achieves a harmonic loading condition that resonates against the Higgs field. So then we fire up our tic-tac and we start spinning up our electromagnetic field to create the Voorhesian displacement field. Our Voorhesian displacement field loads the Higgs field with a harmonic pulse of resonant frequency matching the natural vibrational frequency of the Higgs field and we will have busted the bridge, smashed the tempered glass and dumped the kid out of the swing and disassociated ourselves from the Higgs field like a bad dad. And that is a fact. And I think I've kind of given it away already, and in some ways I've already on multiple occasions applied the principles of general relativity, Newton's laws of motion, and classical physics to quantum mechanics to achieve quantum resonance, quantum asymmetric breaks, and in doing so, applied classical physics at the quantum level. But in the next episode, maybe I'll go into the sonic gravity theory of everything and reconcile the gravity of general relativity with quantum field theory, and in particular, string theory, and we'll see whether sonic gravity can penetrate the unexplained mysteries of physics at the quantum level. But I tell you what, if you go on my Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook sonic gravity pages, and you like and follow, I'll do another episode, and I'll talk about manipulating zero-point energy to actually fly your tic-tac. I'll teach you how to launch a satellite into space without a rocket using a mirror. And I'll tell you what you need to do to build a device that will take down a tic-tac. 
And to the Sonic Tribe, I just want to say and make clear that Sonic Gravity is not a physics podcast. I know because a lot of listeners really tuned in when we talked about negotiation supremacy and the level 7 orgasm and the physics of leadership and the cure for imposter syndrome. And although there were some technical and scientific and physics aspects to this to this exploration of UFOs and UAPs, at its core, this is a critical thinking exercise. And the takeaway is... If you know what you know, and you know what you don't know, then you can know everything. But you could put any theoretical physicist up against any member of the Sonic Tribe. Because through critical thinking alone, with nothing more, every member of the Sonic Tribe knows more about the physics of UFO and UAP flight than any theoretical physicist in the world, and that is a fact. And so for the rest of your life, when you look at swing sets, tempered glass, and bridges, and you'll know that you can destroy them all with a harmonic resonant impulse then you will know that you have been inside my mind and seen the universe through the eyes of a madman and that is a fact when you see those tic tacs and when you know in your mind that the reason they can fly like they do is because they are in the sonic gravity mass effect that someone after orbiting in sonic gravity has engineered a left-handed electron impulse field and like a bad dad dumped the Higgs singlet out of the swing set then you will remember your orbit in sonic gravity when you stared into madness and madness stared back into you and you will know for certain that I am inside your mind too and that too is a fact. (laughs) 